So uh, to begin with, um, I don't want to forget prayer requests because when I pray aloud in a minute, you'll be praying to yourself. Uh, we certainly want to be aware of any any prayer requests, updates. I, I know I heard some good news uh, about Wayne um, and how his procedure went. So it sounds like maybe just another night stay in the hospital and possibly home being dismissed tomorrow maybe, hopefully if everything goes right. So uh, For Wayne Moore, that's good. Anybody aware of any others? Okay. Well, you can certainly pray for me. <laughs> uh, I could use all the prayers in, in being up here and doing this that I can that I can get. So don't be afraid to pray for me if nothing else. And let's see announcements. I don't see any up here. Sometimes there's some up here. Um, about all I can think of, unless anybody else has anything, is Vacation Bible School is coming up the week of June 11th through 15th. And so, you know, um, March is going to be here next week, week from tomorrow or week from Friday. And um, so it's getting closer and closer. A lot, lot of things to do, getting ready and leading up to and getting ready for Vacation Bible School. So... Um, of course, we can't pull it off if we don't have the, the bodies, the people to to um, perform that ministry uh, to the kids in our community. So a uh, big push right now is just to see who maybe can, can serve this year in some capacity. Um, there's no pressure, uh, but if you feel so led, um, I'll certainly be a spot for you, and you need to let my wife Suzanne know. Um, maybe twice in the last... 25 years or so, we haven't had enough people to make a go of it, and we've just not been able to have it that year. So it's it's all a grace thing, and if God provides the leadership for it, um, as he's already provided the funding and that kind of thing, then, then we'll pull it off again. Okay, any other announcements? All right. Well, let's, let's begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, uh, we are humbled... Uh, before you to, to come and, and partake of your word, to study your word. Um, what a privilege and honor it is to be able to have um, your holy scripture, your Bible, um, that we can uh, freely, in the society that we live in anyway, freely um, study. And um, that freedom is, is being threatened, no doubt. And so we're thankful for the opportunity we have now. Pray that we'd make the the most of the time that we do have the freedom to, to read it, to study it, to live it, and to share it. And, Father, I ask that uh, you would, through your Holy Spirit, lead, guide, and um, uh, all of us in, in the study of your Psalm 29 tonight, help us to know um, what it's saying, to have understanding and comprehension of what it's saying, and... Um, and then to find and to find the application to our lives. It was um, written back in the Old Testament days and in that dispensation of law, but um, I know that um, by studying it, um, we will be able to make application to ourselves. And so just pray for that guidance. Pray for those who are ill tonight in our body that we're aware of and um, pray your healing hand upon them always subject to what your will is for them concerning um, your particular plan for, for that particular individual. And uh, ask that Jeremy would have um, relaxing, refreshing um, last few days of his, his vacation as he comes back to join us again on, on Sunday. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 29 is, is what we're looking at today. And... Again, we, we started it Sunday and got over halfway through, but I think it would be a good idea to just um, review uh, the, first, the first part of it that we did Sunday, and then we can just kind of hit it running to finish out the, the end of the chapter. So uh, to begin with, before we focus in strictly on Psalm 29, just a few, a few points to be made about just the overall book of Psalms itself. Um, the, um, the name, um, Psalms, 
from the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, Hebrew meaning was a term meaning praise songs out of the Greek Old Testament um, um, translation, songs to the accompaniment of a stringed, a stringed instrument. And, of course, in our English versions today, just the name Psalms. Um, the 150 different psalms that we have in our one book of psalms in our Bibles um, are not really organized in any particular um, fashion. There's really not a lot of rhyme or reason. Uh, there, there may be um, some of sense of... of um, some similarity, I guess, in the way that um, over over the age over the centuries, um, as they were compiled, and and that's probably the best term I can use, is they were compiled in the order that we have them. Somebody somewhere along the line saw fit to divide them into five different books within the Book of Psalms, and. Um, I really like what Thomas Constable says here, and I'm going to read it again. I always try to before any of the psalms that I teach about the compilation. Spirit-directed compilers put them in their present order for several reasons, including authorship and affinity of ideas. The compilers did not organize them in the order in which the psalmist wrote them. Each psalm is the expression of a writer who responded to God in the light of his particular circumstances when he wrote. Consequently, there is no argument or logical progression of thought as the reader makes his or her way through the book. Those divisions in, into the five um, uh, sub-books uh, you'll see behind me, I'm not going to go through those, but because we're in Psalm 29 tonight, it will be in the very first book, um, those first 44 psalms are in that book. It's known as the book of personal experiences. As far as um, reason, purpose for the psalms, there's all kinds because there's so many different there's so many different psalms. Keep hitting the wrong button up here, and I'm sorry. I think I got to let it wait for just a minute. Um, some um, rose out of prosperity, arise out of prosperity; others out of adversity. Some psalms deal with holiness; others with sinfulness. Some are laments that bewail. The worst of situations, whereas others are triumph, triumphant hymns of joy and thanksgiving. Some look back um, to the past while others look forward to the future. But the dominant message in the book of Psalms, I did it again. Um, is twofold. God is good and life is difficult. The life of faith is lived between these two realities. And I got that quote out of the Nelson Study Bible. I like that one. Okay, as far as the title uh, to our Psalm 29, all it gives us is a Psalm of David as a title. Uh, we made mention Sunday that... Did it again... Uh, in the Latin Vulgate, um, there's a little something added to that. It's not only a psalm of David, but the, it's added at the finishing of the tabernacle. Um, the Vulgate's the Latin translation of the Bible from Hebrew and Greek. Um, basically, just in a nutshell, from what I've studied, um, we don't... Commentators, Bible scholars don't really put a lot of stock in the extra part of, that's included in the Latin Vulgate. So 
I don't know that we can really look at this psalm as something that happened um, in terms of its context necessarily at the finishing of the tabernacle. Um, other Bible uh, commentators have, have chimed in on maybe what the occasion for the psalm was. It might be a commemoration of abundant rain following a three-year drought. It might be David's observation of God's power in nature revealed in thunder, lightning, and rain. And I can certainly agree with that one. Um, it might even be uh, some, the, the occasion was after an extraordinarily, extraordinary thunder, lightning, rain event provided, um, that provided David a, vic, a military victory. Um, just not certain for absolute sure what the actual occasion was, but could have been could have been any of those perhaps, maybe another. As far as an outline, um, Thomas Constable has a great simple three uh, three line outline here: a call to praise Yahweh, reasons to praise Yahweh in verses three through nine, and the sovereignty of Yahweh, as expressed in verses ten and eleven. And then um, I kind of joked about it, but but um, I came up with one of my own, and um, um, but I think it's not a half bad one, uh, and it's it's uh, just three words: glory, storm, and grace. Uh, glory referring to the first two uh, verses, in which um, what is addressed is is how to how to come before God in our worship. The storm is the bulk of the of the chapter in verses 3 through 9 uh, as it arises out of the waters over the mountains and over the wilderness and then grace uh, which we haven't gotten to yet but in the last two verses um, where God is said to give his strength God is said to give his peace to his people okay um, in reading the first couple um, a couple of verses of Psalm 29. If you look there in your Bibles at, at verses 1 and 2, um, there's a, if you catch it, there's kind of a crescendo being built in these first three lines uh, as David, as David um, uh, pins them. Um, he repeats the expression ascribed to the Lord, to the Lord three times. He's employing what's known as climatic parallelism, meaning that he repeats a statement multiple times, building to a climax. So every time David repeats the statement ascribed to the Lord in these first two verses, um, as he does that in, in the succeeding line, he does so a little more forcefully, reaching a climax in his third line. So note how David builds this crescendo as we look and read the first two verses which read, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. And I'm going to insert a little question in here, okay? Well, ascribe what? Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. I'm going to insert another question. What glory and strength? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Uh, we talked about how ascribe is simply from a Hebrew verb indicating to give, to come, to pay attention and so here, obviously, it's used of attributing glory to the Lord. Um, commentators we mentioned fall into two camps regarding the meaning of the phrase sons of the mighty. And just quickly, um, one camp is, well, that must refer to human beings, those that are in the human realm. The other camp says, no, it's not humans, it's not men on this earth, but rather it's of the angelic realm. It's the angels. Um, hard to be real dogmatic, in my, at least in my shoes, my boots. Uh, on that, uh, I tend to come down more on the angelic side, though, um, just because as I read through the, this particular psalm, it seems to all connect a little better if you're talking about angels. Um, so I suggested, I, I feel that it, it probably is more likely to be um, um, referring to, when it says, O oh, sons of the mighty, um, the angels.
glory, the glory and strength um, that is mentioned in, in verse in verse one. Um, glory is simply meaning honor, um, majesty, wealth. It's a it's a masculine singular noun, or at least it came from in Hebrew a masculine singular noun uh, for our English glory. And I think the word honor would probably be easiest for us to relate to or to remember that when we see the word glory here, we're talking about uh, honor. And therefore, um, David, what David is saying is, is that um, these angels are to be giving glory, to be giving honor to God. Uh, looking into verse 2 now, um, we see that David expands verse 1 by stating um, what it is, um, this, this, this glory that they're supposed to give. What, what is that about? Well, it's about, as it says, the glory due to his name. Um, literally, it means um, glory belonging to his name. So what he's... Um, directing these angels to do is come before God in, in worship um, in such a way that your focus, their focus, is on giving God the glory and in, in giving God the honor that is a result of his name, of who he is. That's about the, the most succinct way I can say it. Um, verse 2 concludes with uh, David directing the angels to worship the Lord in holy array. And we talked about that. Um, um, footnote that uh, Charles Ryrie has um, states that the holy array more likely refers to God's inherent holiness rather than any holiness of man brought before God. So Ryrie suggests the meaning is worship the Lord for the splendor of his holiness. And you'll probably see that in his footnote if you have a Ryrie study Bible. Uh, verse 3 begins this storm, okay? And it begins upon what are called the waters. And we talked about how those waters most likely would be the Mediterranean Ocean, that there's this storm that's beginning to boil up um, and fester out over the waters like we're kind of used to here in the, living so close to the Gulf of Mexico. And um, that's where it all starts. It starts small and then begins to kind of have that multiplying or compounding effect where it starts boiling up pretty fast over the waters. Um, as far as the glory of uh, the God of glory thunders, um, what we talked about there is that the voice of the Lord, uh, most the most reasonable exp um, idea there is to assume that in verse three, it's talking about um, the sound of thunder, and in fact, verse three does say that the God of glory thunders. It's. Um, uh, I had a little commentary about that in the next slide um, from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Though voice may be a poetic designation of thunder, it probably also was meant to convey that he who created by his word also controls nature by his word so that a thunderstorm evidences his power. And I know I have, and I'm sure you have too, um, notice the power of God, the great power of God in a thunderstorm more than once, probably. Um, this storm is going to continue on um, from verse 3 into verse 9, and along the way, um, we're going to see some real evidence of God's power um, through what this storm is doing and the impact it's making. Uh, you only need to look at verse, say, Five, seven, eight, and nine to begin to see some of the um, awesome things that are happening as a result of the tremendous power of this storm all through the, the spoken 
voice, the spoken word of God. Uh, in fact, seven times we see that the voice of the Lord is mentioned in verses 3 through 9. So, um, where we start this storm then back in, in verse 3 um, is over these waters of the Mediterranean and it's going to begin then to move easterly onto the land and, and over the land as it keeps building in its intensity. Um, David describes in, in verse 4, as you see there, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Uh, majestic is rendered uh, from a Hebrew noun, hadar, or hadar. It's often used in the Psalms in conjunction with other words to describe God's glory, splendor, and majesty. Here in verse 4, we see it describing God's thunderous, thunderous voice. And so in depicting the storm in this way, David is ultimately underscoring attributes of God, his power, his majesty. These are attributes that demand giving to God the glory belonging to his name as David directed the angels to do in back in verses 1 and 2. Moving on to verse 5, we observe his power um, in a new way here. Um, the storm is pictured moving from the, um, over, uh, you know, from the Mediterranean Sea inland over the um, northern part of Israel, over Lebanon. The famed cedars of Lebanon are found in the mountains here. And I had some pictures describe, or depicting how large these, these trees are. You may recall that they were... Uh, the wood from these trees was used in the building of, of the temple. Solomon had, had ordered wood to be um, harvested from, from that area uh, and brought to the building site, the construction site. Here's another. Just look at the girth of that thing. Reminds me of my blue jeans. Um, Somebody, I can't remember who, but I made the comment, I read somewhere that somebody, maybe it was Ryrie, said that um, the girth can be up to, you know, that, that's the, the distance around it, the trunk, can be up to 40 feet. So these are really, really large trees. And so it says um, that the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. And so you just picture in your mind, I, when I think of this in my mind, I think about seeing those depictions of those trees and then all of a sudden kind of splintering into, you know, like two-by-fours and whatever, you know, one-by-twos all the way down to just like toothpick size, just, just splintering um, from his power. That's, that's kind of what I see. Um, um, that was probably obviously the result of God's thunderous voice um, um, no doubt the, he, he was probably using lightning and, and very likely wind as well to bring about this, this breaking of these large cedars in, um, of Lebanon uh, but that lightning and wind wasn't operating independently. Rather, it was the decree of God. And that's the important point, I think, to, re to, to recall here, is that this isn't just some random event um, in the material world that just happens, but it was, this was being orchestrated by the, as, from the very decree of God. Um, God is um, sovereignly orchestrating this storm and what it's doing. In verse 6, um, Leban, it says Lebanon and, and uh, he makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. And Lebanon and Syrian are the names of, of particular mountains um, in the anti-Lebanon range and that was also, interestingly enough, kind of what was considered Baals. Baals, that, that uh, pagan god Baal's supposed territory. 
And so, uh, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, you might be able to find where this is. I'll kind of show you here as best I can. Um, you'll see the Sea of, of Galilee here called Gennesaret on this map. This is the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know if you can read it, but right in here, this is the anti-Lebanon range, mountain range right here. And it's in this area where this Mount Lebanon and Mount Syrian, which, Syrian, which is probably more likely to be called uh, Mount Hermon in your Bible maps, there's the same, it's the same mountain, uh, are located. And... Here's again our reference point, the Sea of Galilee, and right up here is Mount Lebanon, and here's Mount Hermon, also known as Syrian. So this is where this is happening, okay? So somewhere out here over the Mediterranean is where this all started, this, this storm. It's come inland, and now it's in these high, high regions up here wreck, uh, wreaking its havoc. Um, back to... Back to verse 6, um, Lebanon skipping like a calf and searing like a wild ox. Um, get the sense here that this is some kind of seismic activity, some kind of power from an earthquake perhaps, um, is, um, is taking place on these very mountains and kind of shaking some things up a little bit. Um, obviously a very dangerous place to be. Um, life-threatening as a matter of fact and but no doubt certainly displays the power of God um, now to verse 7 and this is verse 7 is where we ended Sunday um, we see more evidence of God's omnipotence shown in verse 7 the voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. We talked about uh, hew is, comes from a Hebrew verb meaning to cut, to strike, to hew, or to quarry. Um, strike, I think, would, would be, uh, if you're taking notes, I, I would use the word strike here as the meaning because it's going to be a reference to um, God's voice striking out these flames of fire. Well, fire... Um, S, the Hebrew S, is a common feminine noun meaning fire. And it's used of any fire that breaks out and burns up something, whether it's people, things, or animals. Um, we looked at a passage in Exodus where it uses that, that term. Um, and in Psalms, another place in Psalms. So it's clear that David in this verse, our verse 7 here, is speaking of lightning strikes being involved in the damage that this, that this uh, storm is, is bringing to this region, to this area in the highlands. Okay, so now we'll enter into some new territory here, no pun intended. Uh, in verse 8, um, God's power continues to be on display. In verse 8, as the storm now advances from the mountains and starts tracking over the wilderness beyond. David identifies this wilderness area as the wilderness of Kadesh. Kadesh. Now there's two cities with the name Kadesh on your Bible map, probably. One's in the north and one's in the south. The one in the south is probably most familiar to you, Kadesh Barnea. Does that ring a bell? Okay, this is where this is where what happened when Moses sent out the twelve spies to go kind of check out Canaan, and you know, remember they came back all but um, Joshua anyway came back with their reports that oh there's giants you know oh it's horrible well, you know we can you know and as a result they were sent wandering for another what forty years um, because of their lack of faith. Um, so Kadesh Barnea on the south there is, is kind of what comes to mind, I think, to most of us when we see in verse 8 
that the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Or Kadesh. All right. But, oh, and back to your, if you have a Bible map in the back of your Bibles, you come down south here. Um, Dead Sea here, and Kadesh Barnea is back down here. Okay? But there's also another Kadesh up north, right here, and I know you can't see it, but just trust me, this is it. And it says Kadesh, and in parentheses it says, on the Orontes, if I'm pronouncing it right. And that's just a reference to the Orontes River, and this is where that particular Kadesh is, up to the north. Okay, just for reference, it's, um, it's going to be to the north, more or less north of the anti-Lebanon mountain range, this area here where the storm has just left, Mount Lebanon and Mount Syrian or Mount Hermon. Um, so apparently, if, if this is the Kadesh in um, reference that verse 8 is referencing, um, then it's tracking from those mountains somewhat northward um, into this area of, of Kadesh. Okay, so let's just say maybe started out here, went up into this mountainous region here, and then is coming up this direction. Okay? And I can only guess here that the wilderness beyond Kadesh I would say it's probably this direction, perhaps this direction. But somewhere in here must be where the storm then tracks as it has left the mountains over the area of Kadesh and into the wilderness of Kadesh. Um, Constable, Ryrie, and the Bible Knowledge Commentary Terry, all agree with me. <laughs> Actually, I, I agree with them um, that this would probably be the likely candidate for the, for the location of this Kadesh. It's this Kadesh on the Orontes River. It's north of Damascus, about 75 miles. So if you're looking at your Bible map and you find Damascus um, up, to the north and east of, uh, of Sea of Galilee. Here's Damascus. Go about 75 miles and that's where Kadesh is. In saying that the storm shakes the wilderness, David could be referring to more earthquake activity because apparently that's what was happening up in the mountainous area, region. Um, but at a minimum, minimum, he's indicating the storm is packing severe winds. And we see this as we get into verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple everything says glory. Well, the storm so shook the wilderness that deer calved their fawns prematurely due to fear. And the leaves were stripped off the trees in the forest. I don't know if any of you remember, but last spring, probably May, and I remember it because it was the night that one of my grandsons was playing in their Little League championship game here in Fredericksburg. As that game ended and it was still daylight, all of us that were at that game noticed to the north of us a big, big thunderhead way up in the distance. I'm talking, you know, 80, 90 miles, maybe 100 miles, something like that. And you know how the, the, the lightning, you can't hear it, but the, the lightning's lighting it up on the inside, kind of gives you goosebumps. Um, that actually was taking place late last spring, in May, I believe. Um, and it, um, it was a storm that ended up, it was reported had like gale force straight line winds 
uh, that literally stripped off the leaves of oak trees in Richland Springs, Texas. And actually just a few weeks after that, we have some property up just north of that. And I was going up there for a visit. And when I went through the rich, little town of Richland Springs, I mean, it's like, you know, probably Harper, maybe smaller. I don't know. It's pretty small. Um, they, they play six-man football, so it's probably smaller than Harper. Um, got a good team, by the way, usually. Um, I drove through there and witnessed the devastation, which... Uh, also took a toll on some of the buildings in, in the little area there. And I can only imagine the fear felt by those folks who experienced that fury. It, w it was apparently not a tornado, but it was some fantastically strong um, uh, straight-line winds. And, I mean, you, live oak trees and post-oak trees... Uh, there were a few limbs knocked over, but for the most part, the striking thing was they just they were denuded. They were just bare of leaves. And you could see those leaves along the um, um, you know, drainage, drainages on either side of the highway. You could see all those leaves kind of accumulated. It must have been something. Um, well, that's kind of the picture I think we get of what's going on out here in this wilderness area with the... the uh, Strip the forest being stripped bare of, of their leaves, the trees in the forest, their leaves. Um, even to the point <laughs> that the deer, it says, uh, got so scared they calved early. Um, so in verse 9, David's uh, storm tracks off into the wilderness of Kadesh beyond our mind's eye, but not without profound impact upon all the creatures in God's temple. These creatures in God's temple or, or palace, his dwelling place, um, have to be, I would think, a reference to his angelic host. And they have all witnessed this awesome power of God in this storm, which leads them to ascribe glory to God. Now David's going to offer one last testimony of God's power in verse 10, and he saves the best for last. Look what it says in verse 10 now. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. And you know what flood we're talking about here. Um, and in case you're not convinced, I'll make the case for it. Um, the flood spoken of in verse 10 here is none other than the worldwide flood of Noah. The Hebrew word for flood occurs only here and in the flood chapters of Genesis chapter 6 through 11. And to this I found no disagreement among Bible scholars. The present storm in verses 3 through 9 that we've just been taken through reminded David of God's former inundation of the whole earth. And just as God sat as king over his creation in Noah's day and also in David's day, he continues to do so today and forever. Other than the creation event itself, I can think of no greater display of God's control of nature and the elements than the flood event. Thunderstorms reminded David of this truth, and such storms serve to remind us of God's omnipotent control as well. Okay, verse 11. The Lord will give strength to his people, the Lord will bless his people with peace. In verse 11, David writes of the grace that God extends to his people. The demonstration of God's strength that David proclaims in the present storm and the past Noahic flood should serve as encouragement to his people. For God shares his strength with his people, as it says right here in verse 11. Now look back at verse 1 of Psalm 29 where we first started. Okay? The Hebrew word for strength is oz, O-Z. And it refers to power. And this word for strength in verse 1 is the same as in verse 11. The Bible Knowledge Commentary states, 
that the strength available to his people in verse 11 is the very same strength referred to in verse 1. The power that can raise a storm and still a storm is the same strength that can also bring peace to God's people. The word peace is derived from the Hebrew masculine noun meaning peace or tranquility. It's used in greeting someone. It's common, I've learned, in the Hebrew to ask how one's peace is, much like we will ask, well, how are you doing? Or in Texan, how you doing? The peace in the Hebrew greeting is the peace that comes from God. Thomas Constable offers a fitting summary to the end of Psalm 29 in this quote. The subject of the psalm is the demonstration of God's glory in nature, but its impact is the opposite. It gives a sense of the tranquility and awe. Yahweh, our God, is powerful in his glory. He can and does protect his people. He opens heaven up to unleash his blessings of protection, victory, and peace. There is quietness within the storm for those who belong to the people of God. Believers should see in nature the attributes of God and glorify him for his mighty power. We should also remember that his power is a resource for us. The God of creation is also the God who saves his people. And finally then, to kind of wrap things up, um, I've, I've reflected on the psalm and come up with um, um, some application, just in bullet point form. Um, that I think we can we can take from from this psalm, and I'll have five. The first being, hope you can read that. Give God the glory, the honor, belonging to His name. I think that's that's at the very heart of what it means to bring our worship to God, to reflect on His worthiness, is to honor, um, is, is to give or to, to ascribe the honor belonging to His name. Another application, shouldn't come as any surprise to anybody, God reigns sovereign over His creation. And um, I probably thought about that one because, well, obviously it comes right out of what this psalm is talking about in this storm, but um, I've taught a number of years of science classes in, in my life, and uh, fortunately we were allowed to teach um, in a setting that was um, um, Christian, and and therefore, you know, we didn't have to tiptoe around anything about God being creator and all that. Um, but I know that from my own education growing up, taking science classes, that that's not always the case. And, you know, to study something like science, which to me is nothing more than just observing and learning from what God has done in his creation. To study something like that uh, and not recognize that he's reigning sovereign over all of that um, is, is just absolutely ridiculous. You know, we've gotten pretty good at predicting and tracking uh, storms. I watch the weather forecast every morning early. You know, I want to see what they're, what they're saying is happening, you know, what's, what's developing, what's happening down in the Gulf, what's coming to us from the northwest or whatever. Um, but 
I think this psalm reminds us that, you know, that again, that's not all just something that's happening on its own. It's by the very decree of God. And God is sovereign over all of that. And there are times we've seen in history, in man's history, from our Bible, where God has chosen to usurp or override what we have figured was probably the way everything works, and it just, it just astounds us. You know, we can't believe it. You know, um, you know the kinds of things I'm talking about. We call them miracles. Well, it's not a miracle for God. <laughs> it's not one for Him at all. We call it a miracle just because we don't see it happening very much. But He's capable of anything with His creation. Okay, another application. God's creation, um, his general revelation to us, um, reflects his attributes. You know, what he has created that we can observe and look all around and experience because he's placed us inside it here um, is much like an artist who does a work of art and that work of art reflects something about the artist. Well, in God's creation, the finished product of his um, of his creation itself reflects something about God. I mean, whether it's um, the beauty, the design, the, the um, symmetry, the organization, you, you name it. Um, you know, the, the vastness of the universe and beyond or the going the other direction under a uh, nuclear microscope or whatever those things are that can see such small little things and yet there's this level of complexity there when you would expect it would be just real simple things there's this level of complexity even at that level and it just it just screams I think and I hope you'll agree of of who God is who the creator of all of that is Okay, <laughs> the next one's a simple one. If you didn't know it already, this psalm makes it very clear that our God is powerful. Um, don't mean it to be a warning, but I guess, I guess in a way it is a warning. Um, we, we, we do good not to forget that. But this same God that is powerful... It says, as we close the psalm here in verse 11, wants to give his strength to his people. So, the awesomeness of God should be revered and honored, absolutely, in his power, his omnipotence. But we can find some solace, I think, in the fact that, that, that his strength also, he wants to, through his grace, give to his, extend to his people, to give to his people. And lastly, in the same way, through God's grace, he desires to bless his people with peace, with a, um, a tranquility, if you will. Because remember the, that, that famous slide, that slide I had of that, that quote from the Nelson Study Bible about you know, what the Psalms have to do with is, is um, God is good and life is difficult. And it's between those two realities that, that we find ourselves. That we, that's where we are. That's where we live. And there is, a, there is a peace that a believer can have that's unlike any other peace people who are not believers can, can ever find. And it's, it's a, um, you see it in, in, a, in a believer's countenance. I, I think it's something that's attractive to those that are not yet believers, that are not, that are not you know, they're not believers, they've not chosen um, to believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to die on the cross for our, for their sins, pay that penalty on our behalf as a substitute. And 
It's available to all who will believe. By grace, through faith, alone, in Christ alone. And so, I hope that people in this community, people in the spheres of influence in which you operate day to day, um, family, employees, employers, customers, clients, um, other people's customers that are trying to serve you and that kind of thing. I hope in that realm in which you find yourself on a daily basis, as well as me, that people out there can see a peace that um, this world can't give and that it'll be, it'll be attractive to them. And it might be something that, that sparks some curiosity. And uh, they might want to ask us something about it, no more. Um, and, of course, you know, we, we understand the importance of, of sharing our faith, um, sharing the gospel message with folks, but it doesn't always just happen when you're doing the talking. It can happen every minute of the day when you're doing all kinds of things you never thought about might be reflecting something about your relationship with God. And with that, as I promised, we're going to get out about three minutes early if I don't say a prayer that's too long. So uh, let me close in prayer. I any questions or thoughts or comments real quick I should open up to that real quick and then okay I'll close in prayer uh, Father we started this journey through Psalm 29 uh, back on Sunday and um, it, it's, it's been exciting to be able to um, take what sometimes might just be considered some obscure passage out of your Old Testament um, packaged up in 11 verses and um, begin to break it down and see what it's all about and see what the, the big picture is and, and to see what, what all the small details are. And, and you've allowed us to be able to do that through your Holy Spirit's guidance. Um, through, first of all, providing the Scripture in our hands that we can study and learn from and through your Holy Spirit providing the asset that we need to be able to learn and, and have it go from just mere words on a page of paper to, to understanding in our hearts and in our minds. And it's been a good, it's been a good um, adventure. Um, it has certainly magnified who you are and uh, at the same time kind of kept us in our place as well. Um, so like this, like this, for this and, 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 and all your scripture, Father, that we're so blessed to be able to take part of here in this, in this body, we offer our thanks to you. We do pray, Father, that you um, would receive the glory, um, the honor that we give because of um, who you are, because of your name. And um, that would be the highest form, I think, of, of true worship to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.